what did you what did you have for brunch today? <laughs> what do we have for brunch? Um, a bunch of Jill's bandmates came over, and we had salmon, and we had um, fried up chicken sausages, and Bryony made these delicious scrambled eggs to her special recipe that were amazing. Someone else brought bread. It was a pretty regular brunch. the Uncommon Podcast and I'm your host Jordan Michaelides. We interview unique individuals and investigate interesting topics helping you to build the uncommon sense crucial to increasing performance. Our guests have included venture capitalists, strength coaches, human rights lawyers, chefs, restaurateurs and spoken word poets just to name a few and we're really inspired by the likes of Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss and Charlie Munger who I think Charlie in particular has influenced us, always emphasizing that building worldly wisdom or that uncommon sense is critical for your growth as an as an individual. If you want to learn more about these previous guests, you can head to neural.com slash podcast, N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E dot com slash podcast. If you like this episode, make sure you leave us a review. It's really important for us to grow our community and those reviews are crucial to that. In return, you can win a few prizes that we've had for our launch competition, including an Apple Watch 2, my favorite, the Kindle Paperwhite, and an Amazon gift card. For further steps, again, head to neural.com slash podcast, where you can also get the show notes for this episode and sign up to have priority access as, as a cognitive insider, as we call it. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Uh, that's just at Neural, N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E, and the same for Twitter as well. In this episode, we recorded with Tim Bishop, who's the original man with a van. Tim, I think, is a brilliant entrepreneur, the type who knows how to build a quality experience. I know that, or I think that so much is lost amongst all this startup and tech hype in the modern era, and it's people like Tim who are able to show how to build an exceptional business, focusing on things like continually improving, not letting technology define your progression, and instead focusing on the product. This episode, I think, is required learning for any wannabe entrepreneurs, tech startups, new business owners, and frankly, any corporate executive. Tim distills valuable lessons on building a simple and valuable product to his market, which I think is key here. So the topics we included that would be relevant to this, we talk about how man with a van came about, the delivery model and, and Ubering, what what would that do to the delivery business? Really good talk here on the power of branding and there's some good lessons there. Tech startups versus quality businesses, dealing with the dark periods, which I think is is not often talked about and, and therefore we also spoke about how he deals with stress. Um, and then lastly, thinking about success and who he idolizes, I guess. Um, so I think... This is a really, really good episode, required learning for, as I said, wannabe entrepreneurs, tech people, new business own- owners and execs. Without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Tim Bishop. 
Alrighty, so we're live. <laughs> Tim, thanks for joining. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So I think with, with every guest, as you've heard from a few episodes now, we like to start off with a little bit on who they are. Um, maybe just tell the guests first who the man with the van is. Uh, my name's Tim Bishop. Um, I'm, uh, if you're in Melbourne, you probably know of Man with a Van or you've seen the trucks driving around. Um, so we're a, one of the largest, if not the largest, um, mover in Melbourne. That's not a multinational. Um, and yeah, we move anything from sort of a fridge to a family house to an office, that sort of thing. So mm. I'm the prototype man, man number one. Um, that's been many times improved on and iterated since me. Uh, yeah. Cool. Um, there's a few things that I, a few different threads I want to get into, but I always like to understand a little bit more the person that, that we're interviewing and, and go back to sort of their early years and, you know, digging around on the interwebs, <laughs> finding some things. Um, there's also, you know, there's some great little photos on um, the original van that, yep. I, that I saw recently. <laughs> um, but, I I always like to ask guests, you know, what's a lesson that they they've learned indirectly or directly through their parents? And I preface this with I don't know if I could I found this or some one of your friends told me, but um, your parents had one of the first chocolate box. Not exactly. Not exactly. Not exactly. Um, my well, I actually grew up in England, so my parents okay. my parents had a small. Uh, children's clothing store um, where I grew up in England. Um, we moved over here when I was 10 in 88. Um, but my grandparents, my mother's Australian, my father's English, uh, my grandparents started the chocolate box in uh-huh. 1958 as, um, as sort of war refugees um, coming over from Europe. Um, and then my, well, my grandfather, when they first came over, was working on the sort of the General Motors Holden production line, putting cars together. And yeah, they bought a little uh, sweet shop called Smile Away, I think it was called. Okay. And they grew that uh, in the 60s, 70s, 80s into the chocolate box. Yeah. Right. So my mother and my uncle uh, still run that. Okay. Yep. So w- did you, do you have any, you know, early insights of you were going into the shop or oh, yeah, my, did my you very, used to work there? My very first job, um, this would have been <laughs> probably 10 or 11, was um, as part of the shop in Camberwell they had. Uh, they had a coffee lounge um, and my first job after school was to take a butter knife and lever the bits of chewing gum off the bottoms of the coffee lounge <laughs> tables. And uh, so, yeah, and so I, I see it as my kind of um, my right now to leave chewing gum under coffee coffee, <laughs> coffee shop tables coffee shop table. <laughs> forever. I, I don't do it anymore. Well, is there I, any, is there, was, what was going through your mind when you were doing that? Like, what? Oh, the 50 cents that I was going to earn? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or something, I don't know. Um, yeah, dreaming probably. Do, so do you think that there's anything that stood with you from, from learning from either of your parents over the oh, years? Oh, definitely, but? definitely. I mean, my, my mother changed, when we eventually came to Australia, um, she changed the business, she changed the chocolate box a great deal okay. into very much an own brand um, chain from something that was, you know, an importer of a range of different lines. She turned it into something that was uniformly branded and all branded chocolate box. Okay. So she saw that was the way things that were, go- were going and she's always been very um, savvy with branding. 
Okay. And customer service marketing. So I, I grew up with that sort of right. that having that instilled into me. Okay. Um, and from my father, um, I think I learned. Well, I'm, I'm sure I, I I gained a, a keen interest in systems, and that was I, I can trace that back to a, a very specific event um, when I was probably chucking a sickie in England, <laughs> and I would have been eight eight years old or seven seven or eight years old, and he took me to what was then quite an old fashioned hardware store. And bought me a light globe and some wires and some switches, um, things, and showed me how to put together a basic electrical circuit. Wow! And explained how a circuit, essentially a system, worked. Yeah. And that, from that, you know, that's that's sort of informed so much of my interests uh, over the years since then. Yeah. yeah. So. And how, speaking of interests, I mean, um, so you, you went to high school. I read there that it said you were a high school. You dropped out of high school. Yeah, I was a total dropout. Like yeah. when, we, when we came to Australia, I I hated Australia. I love it now, but um, I didn't fit in. I had I culturally it was very different to what I had come from. Yeah, I didn't get the sport, um, and the the teaching was at a different standard. So I'd been learning to quite a high standard in the UK, and then when I came over here. I just wasn't engaged. Um, so I went to five schools in six years and dropped out wow. um, yeah. sort of in year 11. Do you – I don't know if you've read much about the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. And I see this a lot now being discussed in schools. You know, how – I don't know anything about that. Well, so like the fixed mindset mindset is that uh, you would be focused on specific goals, achieving certain grades, whereas the growth mindset is just on continual improvement. Do you think that – that impacted you at all when you were at high school? I don't. I don't know if it was that as much as um, I like to cut through the crap and and boil things down as quickly as possible and 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 get to the essence of things. Right. And so, I in in high school, I was being forced to learn something and then explain it over two thousand words hmm. when I felt like I could explain it in a lot less. And that frustrated me. Homework frustrated me because I wanted to ride on my bike and I thought school was for school and outside of school was for leisure. I wanted to have the work-life balance more happening at that age. Yeah. And so I never did homework. But I, I, you know, I was a, a pretty intelligent kid and I'd, um, so I'd, I'd ace tests and then fail through not handing in assignments. Yeah. Um, so that was the thing. It was just, it was just, the, the, just the unnecessary work. Yeah. That I, I felt was superfluous, but yeah. The reason I ask is because I noticed with a lot of these people that I've interviewed now that have had some form of success or or a unique perspective on something that they sort of they're, they're definitely more on that growth mindset. And and you know when I hear of quotes like um, I don't know if you've heard of Richard Feynman, he's like a famous physicist, and he he talks about knowing the name of something versus knowing what something is. Ah, uh, yeah, right. And uh, it's it just sort of sounds like that. Like you're more intrigued on. What is this thing? How does it work? Mm. And can I explain this to a child, you know, in a simple way? Yeah. It's yeah. got to be practical rather than just regurgitation for me. It's got to – or it's – it's. if I can explain a concept, then I get it. Yeah. I don't want to have to regurgitate it over 2,000 words. Yeah. Do you think that this – your dad showing you about systems translated into your interests in renewable energy or energy in general? Because one um, of the th- one of the things mentioned in these mm. articles was you dropped out of school, and then you started 
focusing on this area of renewable energy? Renewable energy came about through me just drifting around for several years, traveling and protesting outside uranium mines and just being a general like ne'er-do-well troublemaker. Yeah. Um, coming out of that going, well, look, if I'm going to be complaining about all of these things, I should know a little bit more about the solution, which inspired me to go back and study. Yeah. So that's where that came from. I don't think it'd be a, it'd be a long boat to track that all the way back to my dad's <laughs> well i don't i don't know whether he'd, he'd approve of that <laughs> being linked where did this uh, sort of renegade attitude come from with the you know the processing and whatnot um i well i mean through just playing up at school and always feeling like an outsider um coming from england to australia i was an outsider i spoke wrong i didn't know the rules of the of football um and so i always felt like an outsider, yeah. So I suppose that's the perspective. Yeah. What were the sports that that you enjoyed when you were back in England? Oh, I was just getting into rugby when union or league. Ah, uh, I don't know what which it was because in England it was just rugby. <laughs> I don't. I was. I was. I was nine, so it was rugby. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I enjoyed. I I remember enjoying that, but I was quite young. Um. And yeah. And what part of what part of England was it that you grew up? Um, in? The north of England, so okay. just outside of Manchester. Okay, Cheshire. Yeah, so you're probably playing because um, I I played um, soccer or football for years and then got into rugby. But mm-hmm. I know that league, rugby league is huge up north. Maybe and that's yeah, what it was. Rugby union is huge down south. Um, to know, and it's a big problem for me at work because I don't really speak sport, <laughs> and um, I you know I've got a workforce. Almost completely made up of men yeah. who are of sporting age okay. and interests, and, yeah. <laughs> and so it'd be good to know something about it. But I don't. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting. I would have thought that most of those guys would be just interested in music. A lot of there's, there is that. As I was saying that, I, I could, I could, yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's there's just as many musicians at Man with the Van as um, as sports heads. But we've got quite a big New Zealand contingent, and so we have had a, uh, a rugby team over the last few years. Okay, yeah. So. Let's go to let's go to Man with a Van and how that all started. So yeah. basically, you had a couple of friends ask you to start moving stuff around. Or you, what what came first, the friends asking you, or you thinking you could go get a job as a courier? Um, well, I was studying renewable energy technology, as we've mentioned, and I wanted to get some really flexible work that wasn't hospo, um, that gave me some independence. So I bought a old uh, van off the chocolate box. Because um, I actually, I learned to drive, basically, driving trucks there. Um, they had this really old, beaten-up truck. Um, and, yeah, that's what I learned to drive in. And they and I bought off them their van, to this, at the end of its life, uh, van. Um, and I bought it with the intention of getting courier work. Drove it to the couriers, and um, they informed me that because it was over 10 years old, it was deemed unreliable, um, so they wouldn't give me work. Really? So I'd, I'd, I'd paid $1,500 for a van to get work and now I couldn't get a job using it. So I just started putting up flyers at, at um, Swinburne where I was going. Oh, you went a, to Swinburne? Yeah, Swinburne in uh, Hawthorne. Then. Okay, yeah. I went to Swinburne in Hawthorne as yeah, well. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So that, that started and you started moving um, students moving few, few anyone students. who saw it. I just, I just would drive around. Every time I was doing a move, between moves, I would um, just put up posters in laundrettes and cafes, any opportunity I got, hand cards to customers. Was it a struggle at the start? Or did you find that it just, you know... I didn't know anything about moving. Um, So it was really just... I knew how to pick something up and put it in the back of a van, but I didn't have any equipment. 
I didn't, you know, I didn't have a trolley for my first move, which was a washing machine. I can remember it. And I was like, oh, I should probably get a trolley. Um, but, um, Testing your market. Yeah. It's, it, just, it just seemed that there was the work out there. Yeah. Because um, I'm just intrigued, like, you know, what was the point where you thought, because I was looking at, one, again, one of these other articles where in terms of designing the lo- logo, you got it for the cost of oh, a yeah, Slurpee the, and a hot dog. The logo. The logo was good. You know, when did, what was the point where you thought to yourself, Wow, I've really got something here that is worth doing and uh-huh. I'm going to really, you uh-huh. know, start branding out. And- yeah. Well, I mean, I'd, people had always said it to me because I, I, at first, I mean, I now have a business partner, James, or have since basically the start, Yeah. Um, James Bowden. But um, to begin with, for, from, right from the start, people said, oh, this service is great. Um, you, should, you, should, you should grow this. And I always said, well, no, I can't grow it because the business is me and I can't just clone myself. But as I've come to realize, I can actually do more than clone myself and I can clone myself and improve me at the same time. You know, my, the, the staff we have now are way more proficient at doing the job than I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so, so what was the, the actual catalyst that made it all grow was I was traveling um, with my, an old school friend, James Bowden. Uh, he was working at the Hyatt as a, um, as a uh, con- not concierge, the guys that park cars. Ah, uh, like not a bellboy, you know, sort of. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, v- v- valet, a valet. Are you, you're talking about the Grand Hyatt on. Uh, he Collins? was at the Park Hyatt. Oh, okay, because I actually go to the gym. At the oh, do <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a different time. So, but yeah, he was he was a valet, valet parking cars at the Park Hyatt, and so he had a bunch of. Um, if you work at the Hyatt, you get a bunch of free nights accommodation at any Hyatt in the world, and so he had a few banked up, and we went traveling around India. We went Nepal, India, sort of on a shoestring. We had no money. Okay. Um, and we and it meant that we got to get really – stay in these really dive places the whole time. And then, for example, in Goa after New Year's Eve on New Year's Day, we had a reservation at the Hyatt in Goa. Oh, wow. Uh, for free so we could go and stay there. But it meant all we could afford on the room service menu was like one chapati or something. Yeah. But um, anyway, when we got back from that trip, I remember sitting down in my backyard and we were hanging out. We'd just gotten back and I turned on my mobile phone and immediately messages for, for jobs Whoa. came in. And James like, wow, there's so much work and you've been away for like two months or whatever. So, but there's work rolling in straight away. Um, and I'd met a French girl in India and fallen in love and I wanted to go and try living with her in France and make a new life and experience that. And so I sold James my phone and uh, my van and talked him through the how I did what I did, which was pretty simple at that stage. And I sold it to him on the condition that uh, to go off to live in France on the condition that if it didn't work out, when I came back, we'd go into partnership. Oh, wow. That's so, that's, so you're really managing your downside there without realizing. <laughs> well, I knew there was something there. I, I wanted to have something to come back to because it yeah. was a pretty, and uh, you know, Sure enough, like nearly a year later, it, it, it hadn't worked out. I, I, I'm just not – I hadn't learned the language and I came back. Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think was the straw that broke the camels back there in France? Uh, there were many straws. <laughs> I was just – I was basically my, – my, my girlfriend over there was a bit older than me. She was a, a TV producer and she would go off to work and I would – after being beaten down by – speaking French incorrectly to French people and them getting angry at me, I would sit in her apartment and, and eat cheese and be sad. <laughs> eventually <laughs> eventually I gave up. <laughs> yeah, I'd had enough. So you came back 
And uh, you partnered up with James. Yep. And um, we immediately decided to grow it. We we had a we had a dream from the outset. Yeah. Hmm. It's it's intriguing. So sort of serendipitously, you you had tested the market. You'd done things, and then with you know without even realizing that there was there was such an appetite there. Hmm. It's quite intriguing. Yeah, we d- we just happened to have the. I mean, it's you know timing. People always talk about timing. Timing played a big part in this story, and that was we just happened to stumble on the product that no one was offering mm. at the right time. Yeah, that's that's intriguing to me because I think about when I was a kid, we moved a few times, and you know we had to use these big brand, big yep. big companies. Yep. So what what was the niche that you saw in that that market? Well, we I mean the the thing that we did differently to them. Um, is well, first of all, smaller vehicles, and um, that was only because okay. that's all we had licenses for, and that's all we could afford. Yeah. Um, but also, we looked. It was it was just at this time when websites were becoming a thing, and these old brands, these you know hundreds of year old Grace and whatever Ridgeways yeah, movers, had these these cumbersome, wordy websites that was just like. You know, back in 1529 when such and such, blah, it had this, it had these really boring sort of stories. Yeah. And none of them, uh, you couldn't get pricing information easily out of any of them. It's like, well, we'll come around and do a quote. And it was all, it, 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 the whole thing felt very expensive and very old fashioned and the sort of thing your parents would and, and f- buy. And, and also a bit of friction as well in, in sort yes. of engaging. Yes. Yeah. yeah the, the websites were, were you know very early websites? Yeah, I mean, I say that we had a we had a flash website to begin with, which was amazing. I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's like it's a, flash is a joke now. Yeah, but um, but do, people, do you have any records of it? Oh yeah, yeah, I've got I've got some screenshots and things of the original. <laughs> but people would always comment on it because we we actually modelled it. I wanted it to look like if you know those children's toys where you turn different things and you press things and they make different sounds and they're like different, uh, you know, like a toddler where it's got to turn something and the sound will come out. It's like a soundboard or something like that. We had six icons and uh, each of them, you'd press one and it would turn and it would. we wanted it to make sound, but it didn't. Um, and it had very, f- everything was fun, named in a fun way. Okay. So, in, you know, it, it's like, what's the deal? was like our about page and you know it was like a, a deck of cards would be would get pulled out and it was all very simple animations huh. um or what's the damage and there was a piggy bank there so we wanted it to be casual like like people yeah. that we knew spoke not like the other websites were speaking yeah so that's that's what made us appealing to um, a younger market but also you got you got to think about it like um you know if you look at the demographics of well, so when when was this? When you first had this flash website, what year would this have been? Ah, <sighs> that's a, probably eleven or twelve years ago now. So yeah. two thousand. Well, I know that I did my first move in two thousand and one. So I keep I keep underestimating how old we are now. I did my first move in two thousand one, but we didn't get serious until at least two thousand and four, I think. Okay, so there was a bit of a lead in there. So, like, I'm just thinking, you know, in terms of alter- alternatives for people at that price bracket, they would have had to use friends, they would have had to rent yep. a van, yep, or they would have had to use one of these expensive operators, which you could only use if you were moving, if you had a huge house, and therefore that's a di- totally different price bracket. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. There was no one around, and we came just at the time when that market was, was just starting out because 
baby boomers were beginning to get more stuff than they could put in their house, and so they were getting storage. Mm-hmm. So that was a new market. Ah, okay. People were moving out of home um, but not getting married and living in the suburbs. Uh, they were moving out of home into their own apartments, in and out of share houses. I mean, that's been going on a while, but it became really – it was, just became the norm – that everyone did, you know, I reckon we, in the 90s and the early noughties. Yeah. Um, and so that's a market of young people s- moving without settling for long periods of time. Yeah. You know, most of my friends still haven't settled into a house and I'm in my late 30s. Um, so that was unheard of, you know, before we yeah. started. So that was a new market as well. Yeah. There was and, – and also apartment dwelling, you okay. know. All these apartments just started – you know, Melbourne's really started booming. The city boomed. Yeah. International students moved into the city. Yeah. So that was a huge new market that no one could cater for. Wow. So we were it was good timing. Yeah, timing. Timing yeah. seems to be everything. <laughs> a lot of yeah, a lot of entrepreneurs say that is timing is essentially everything. Yep. Do you um I think knowing what you know now about the business, what would what do you think you would have done differently? You know, you've you've gone from rebranding as Man with the Van from 2004, would you say? Mm. Or rebranding as with your logo and everything. That's when you first sort of came out with Man yeah. with the Van to now. What would I what would I have done differently? Yeah, I um, I would have automated things more completely and more early. Yeah. So really, like I'm very much looking for the systems in the way we do things but I would have been more draconian about making sure that we systemize every last thing because it's a lot harder to go back and document a very complicated system mm. than it is to systemize and document the systemization of a system when it's at its, in its embryonic stage yeah. and then just build on that. Why do you think systems are important then? Because, it, well, I mean, everything is a system, but it, it's about knowledge of how that system works and d- being able to document it means that you can explain it and, and you can you can replicate it, take it, you can split it into parts and you can go, you do this part of the system, you do this part of the system, you do this part and everyone knows exactly what part they're doing yeah. and knows knows can describe it. Yeah. yeah. And one of those, that sort of takes me to one of your interviews on 3AW, I think it was. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the points that you highlighted was simplification yeah what what does that play you know how have you used that within the business is that primarily from a systems perspective or just in everything it's both systems but it's i mean first and foremost it's products it's it's the the number of your products we have we we started out just one man i started out with one man in a van and then we doubled the complexity by offering two men with a van and then we we thought long and hard about offering two different size vehicles. So that's essentially uh, four different products. Okay. That was, we, that was, you know, whereas, you know, you open up a shop and you've got a full range of mm-hmm. different products. I think our success has been um, limiting that. You know, we still don't sell boxes. We will soon, but we still don't sell them. We don't have any storage. We don't have any of these add-on things. We don't do cleaning. We don't do packing. We just do a very small amount of things, but we do them extremely well and we yeah. constantly iterate okay. how we do them. Right. Have you ever heard of the 80-20 rule? 
Is that your, that twenty uh, percent of your customers cause eighty percent of your problems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's um, what's is that, that book called? Tim Ferriss Four Hour Workweek. But yeah. there's the eighty tw- the Pareto principle was right. saying created like in the sixteen hundreds. Oh wow! But he he basically um, him and someone else popularized it. I can't remember the other guy's name, but I've read both the eighty twenty rule and Tim Ferriss's book. But that really intrigued me because it sort of sounded like you had read that. Well, I mean, it wasn't the the. I read the four hour. Um, I read the four hour body ages ago. My brother gave it to me, but okay. we, that was not. You know, we'd already started the business. I think. Um, I reckon this is going to sound cynical. There was a, it was an element of laziness in simplifying the um, the amount of products we had, or simplifying our business system, because you know, and this is James's influence on me. It's like, you've got to remember why you're doing this. Mm. And if you try to do a million different things, then we're going to be working 24 seven and we won't have any lifestyle. Yeah. So if we simplify things, then we've got less to manage. We can manage it well and we'll have more time. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad he really pushed on that. Yeah. Um, Look, I, I think it's a key message for a lot of young entrepreneurs. I think mm. a lot of, particularly in the tech scene now that I've been able to see over the last few years, a lot of people just, you know, they don't, it's a trend, but they also forget about it mm. by including mm. too many features or too many services, yep. you know, maybe even just starting out with one product or service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that was to me one of the biggest lessons I learned just looking through the different material and interview that you you. You did, yeah. Well, and that is definitely a uh, that is definitely something that the business lives by. I mean, constantly because we're constantly being bombarded with ideas yeah. of all the different things we can do with the brand, all the different things we could add on yeah. within the business. Why don't we don't move pianos, for example? Um, we don't we don't do complicated moves because to do so is that's a job in itself. That's a business in itself. Yeah. Maybe we will, but the, the the amazing thing is, you know, after ten years, we're still refining just moving the 80 percent okay rather than worrying about the 20 percent just getting just getting that perfect yeah um and i want a quality product that's the other thing is if you if you diversify too much then you're gonna it's the jack of all trades master of none yeah we we want to i want to have pride in the products we have i don't want to just have pride in the amount of products we have yeah do you speaking of young entrepreneurs if you were to if you had two weeks and you were to teach a bunch of 30 young entrepreneurs you had a class you were tasked with mm. arming them with all necessary information to build their own business how would you do it well first of all i guess you've got a the, the, the main thing is to have the idea and the idea i think i think I've, I've thought about how you would workshop finding an idea um and i i think the best one one way would be to analyze your day and think about all the things that all the times you got annoyed um, look for the cause of that annoyance. Um, see if it was caused by a product or system not doing things as well as you would have hoped for and seeing if you could think of a better system or product for, for that thing yeah. that would remove that annoyance. Yeah. Um, so that would be the, the thing about doing it. And, th- and then spend a lot of time refining that product. Uh, once you've got it really good, think of a way to sell it in a sexy way. Think of a way to um, make people emotion, not not just see the usefulness of it, but have an emotional response. Right. Okay. Mm. What tools do you think that you've relied on what, over the what, years? What do you mean by tools? Well, 
Is there is there any sort of processes or apps or anything that okay. you've found that you've you've relied on yep. consistently for the last we've, 10 we've years? been very technology based the yep. whole way because I mean the, you can't build much the, the the there's not a whole lot of efficiencies to find within moving or sorry there's not a whole lot of cost savings to find in moving um, manpower or person power costs the same you know it's it's okay. it's 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 uh, it's a certain rate. Um, the vehicles cost a certain amount and you have a certain amount of time in the day. Okay. So those are the variables or those are the fixed costs, if you like, for us okay. um, or the fixed things. Um, so what we have to do is find the efficiencies through technology. Okay. So how we schedule things in. It, it's about how easily we can get from the customer thinking about moving Okay. To the moving being our, being in our booking system and the guys heading there okay. with the least friction and the least hand double handling. Right. So um, we, I mean, to begin with, James and I, when it was just the two of us and like one or two employees, we each had a Palm Pilot because we oh. each had a van at our house. We each had a Palm Pilot, which we would sync every night, yeah. and it had two calendars, one for each vehicle, and then three calendars when we had a third. Um, and we each had a mobile phone. And we had um, found on on the World Wide Web, we'd found a um, a place in China where we could buy cloned SIM cards, which were of dubious legality within Australian telecommunications, yeah. and a cloner, essentially. So you get a blank SIM card and clone it. So what that meant was we had two SIM cards with the same phone number. Oh, wow. If you were to put them in the phone at the same time and turn them on, the network would probably go, hey, there's something wrong here, and just disable it. So what we would do is we had our personal phones and we had our two SIM cards that were the same number for the business phones. Yeah. And I would call James up and say, okay, I'm about to turn off my man phone, is what we call it. And he'd be, okay. And I would turn off my mobile phone. He would turn his on and then he would be the phone. He would be the office. Right. So it meant that we didn't have to have an office. And we would sync the Palm Pilots, which sank, synced the calendars. Yeah. We would both go off and do our moves answering the business as we moved during the day as, you know, man with the van, James speaking, or man with the van, Tim speaking. Yeah. And we could distribute marketing materials with the one mobile number on it and oh. it would always be answerable, but we, ne- we didn't have to meet up yeah. overnight because we didn't have an office. Yeah. So how have you evolved that over the years now? So from there it went to... Because uh, that's so intriguing because it remains consistent <laughs> and, and also saves costs in a way. That, yeah. And, and we've yeah. always been smell of an oily rag, and that's that's very much James' influence as well. It's, it's always been like, how? What's the cheapest way we can do this? Yeah, you know, because we don't want to spend excess money. I, I love spending, and so <laughs> he very he, he very much he's the financial controller, you know. Yeah. Um, and so what what it what it meant was from there we stayed with the mobile phone for until we were at six vehicles. I think we okay. were still answering with the mobile, and I think some of our com- small competitors are the same. Um, and we had. I, I started off uh, with we started off with Palm Pilots. Then we went to early Apple iBooks. I was a PC person, but I changed to Apple back then because they made these. They used to make really great products, believe it or not. Apple used to make great products, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they made these iBooks that uh, would the battery would last all day, and you could throw them, and they wouldn't break. The white iBooks. And they would live on the dash of the vans. Okay. And so from Palm Pilots, we went to a couple of iBooks that synced overnight and we would sync iCal, ah. which had the different calendars. Each calendar in iCal was a different vehicle. And we got up to six vehicles just with events being, you know, appointments and uh, calendars being vehicles. Yeah. 
Um, and so, yeah, we, we got reasonably big from there. And then we went out and looked within the market to try and find a piece of software that actually did what we wanted to do. We were looking for a moving piece of software, but because we were providing a product that really didn't exist on at any scale that we were aware of, mm-hmm. there was no software package for it. Right. There was mo- old-fashioned moving software packages that assumed a move would take all day and one you know 10-ton truck would go along and that would be the one job they had that day. And there was the quoting procedure and they were all very old-fashioned like the businesses they were written for. And then there was courier systems that were point-to-point, very little information. It was just weight of the package, something like that. There was nothing off the shelf that we could get We'd, uh, we'd always gone to this particular Apple store to buy our iBooks and there was a very smart guy working one of those who was a bit frustrated with working there. His name's Angus Lithgow. He's our um, general manager IT guy okay. working there. And he would like, you know, figure out our IT problems and we offered him a job, you know, like if you'll, you'll have to do quite a bit of moving, but we reckon there's a job in there somewhere for you to do more computer stuff. Yeah. So we poached him from the uh, next bite, it was, um, and uh, he has been, he sort of spearheaded our IT evolution from then because what we had to do after iCal is write our own software. Right. And we had two, we, 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 we half built two packages uh, with two different developers, yeah. both of which we just threw away. Really? So we uh. pissed a lot of money up against the wall as far as um, early database development went. Okay. Um, but we just wanted to get it right until we finally found a developer who got what we wanted and could and and had the idea of how to build it. And he's still our developer. And okay. so we're just at our eighth birthday now with that developer. And it is still that's our that's our biggest piece of IP. Really, I mean, apart from the trademark, it's the system that that allows us to deliver an end-to-end branding and service experience that's uniform. Right. So, have you now? So that brings me to tech in general. Mm. And um, I know I had a question in here about you know the tech, how tech businesses or the tech hype um, in business and entrepreneurship now. But so, if you're considering expanding at some point. Have you ever considered replicating that system as a platform? Well, yeah, we've we've considered what we want we want to go into state to begin with, but there are other issues that stop us going there. Yeah, and so we we are as we iterate our database system, uh, we do take that into account. How it'll work interstate? How it'll work internationally? Um, when we get into doing different sorts of moves, be they rail, interstate, how it will work with those but i don't think we could ever sell the platform to a competitor not so much sell it but open it up like an uber ah yeah well that's an interesting uh perspective yeah um because disruptive uh, technologies i've got some very strong views on yeah see so <laughs> this um adrian stone as you you listened yep. to his episode he i remember t- he said to me about a year ago he said if you can create the uber for couriers or moving everyone's trying come to me <laughs> so what tell me about that who who is trying and who well is? they've come to us <laughs> okay because um here's here's a little bit of grain of salt in the whole uber for moving uh idea it's, it's one thing to turn up have have be proficient at driving turn up at a point and allow someone to get into your car drive to another point and allow them to get out mm-hmm. it's quite another to drive a large vehicle 
to someone's house, um, take all of their worldly possessions down a flight of stairs without damaging walls, without damaging possessions, without freaking anyone out, um, without alerting the ex-boyfriend to the, the thing that's going on, getting them all inside the vehicle uh, safely, moving them to the other end, and doing the reverse without injuring anything, uh, like without 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 your uh, workers injuring themselves mm-hmm. or without damaging anything. It's and and while keeping the customer happy. Like I said, we've spent ten years trying to get just that right, and we're still improving. Mm. So to imagine that you can Uberify that, yeah, uh, I don't think you're looking at the actual job closely enough. Yeah, if it is as simple as putting a package in the back from Harvey Norman and driving it to an, to a destination. Couriers already do that, yeah, and you can already get that cheap as. Um, but then, as soon as you get to the place that is up a flight of stairs, uh, and it's just one guy, or the person can't help, or yeah. So you think there's a lot of legalities and issues with? Thankfully, with that? Yeah. thankfully, I don't think we're a, a huge risk. I mean, I'll probably buy more. I'll probably listen to this in a few years and go, <laughs> "Why didn't I? Why didn't I see the writing on the wall?" But it seems like you're well aware of it. You know, oh, you're, you're operating in a way where you're aware of what's going the, on. The reason being because we've got such a generic name. Um, it's frequently used by our competitors uh, to run their own Google AdWords campaign for SEO, for example. If you combine the words man and van anywhere in a piece of copy or within a page title or within your name, if you can get away with it without us taking you to court, yeah. then you can rank higher on Google and people do because people are looking for man with a van Google, through broad matching, ignores the with and the ah uh, and just sees because they're just with and ah. Uh, they're like a, they're joining words. It doesn't see Man With A Van as a brand, though, although it should, and they're supposed to uh, protect trademarks. They can't really through their own algorithms. Hmm. So it, when, when Google search looks at Man With A Van, it ignores with and ah. Uh, it sees man and van, broadly speaking, and so it matches that to any page that's got man and van in it. Okay. The competition's always taken advantage of that since they've figured it out. And um, similarly, um, the new, what I'd like to call transport aggregators, the Uber-style businesses where they're basically matching services to consumers, even, you know, down to services seeking and other companies like that, then I, I become aware of it because they're either approaching us directly or they're using man and van or RIP flat out in their own promotions. Yeah. Would you would you ever change the name if you if you'd known this now? Good question, because that's it's funny. That's, that's uh, that is that is the million dollar question. Um, I would love to have a Google esque name, yeah. something that is something that is is a what do you call it a Googleplex? Because <laughs> that's that's the key to having good IP is not not having any competition for your IP in the first place. Yeah. Um, but the paradox is that um, man with a van. It's it's it's. I'm, to be honest, I feel lucky that we got it trademarked in the first place. Mm. I mean, we are limited to Victoria, but because it's 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 a colloquialism. Mm. Man with a van is in, yes. in 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 England. It's a man with a van is a kind of a a type, kind of a, it's almost a negative. It's got negative connotations in the UK that hopefully really have. Oh yeah, man, man, white van man, man with a van, that sort of thing. Right. It was nothing like we are, but I think the the rhyming couplet aspect of it, the very simple English. That's in it. It's very, very memorable. Mm. So, yes, it would be great to have a real unique name, and we wouldn't have all of this competition in Google. 
But by the same token, you'll be stopped in one of our trucks at, the, at a traffic light and you will see a child who's just learning to speak and read, or just learning to read rather, mouthing out man with a van on the side. And I mean, like, <laughs> it's kind of dark, but I get, I get quite a lot. I get a kick out of you seeing that. You get a kick that. out of that? And I think it's, well, I mean, you know, um, you know Winston Churchill had that, uh, that speech, we will fight them on the beach. Beaches. We'll, yeah, that, yeah, that speech. I'm and actually reading that biography yeah, by right. uh, Boris right now. He's, a, he's, a, he's kind of a funny character. But, um, he is. He, um, he, that speech apparently is written in, what did I, I read it in the first thousand years or something, this book about it, it's, it's entirely written in Old English. So everything that was in that speech would have been understandable to an Englishman living in the year 1000, yep. except for one word in the speech. Well, yeah, so I'm, it's funny you mentioned this because I'm reading this book right now. Boris has shown that the way his speeches have changed, by that point, he'd realized that he'd taken out all of the complex mm, words yep. and simplified it so that any man, a man with a van mm-hmm. down the road, could understand the root of what he was saying and, and the sort of um, the passion that comes with those words. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's done a lot for me because I know that if I go on the copy on our website and I realized it this week and after this interview I'm going to go down, <laughs> go back home and fix it, um, is simplification. Yeah. Back to what you said. If you simplify words in a meaningful way, Yep, in a short manner, it's it's so powerful. So, so here's the, here's the kind of like funny thing about his speech is that everything was would have been understandable to someone from the year one thousand, except the one word in the speech apparently, um, which is surrender, because there was no word in the English language for surrender. It was a French import, right? <laughs> uh, which I think is a pretty pretty dark deep how, French, but anyway, how British are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't ascribe to that, but, um, but yeah, man with a van is very simple and it's 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 memorable. It's a rhyming couplet, man van, uh, the logo. It's I, I would love us to have a Googleplex sort of a name, yeah. But we it would probably be at the expense of the memorability of man with a van, and the reason it's memorable is because you've already heard it. Mm. Man with a van, you've already said it at some point. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point for people who are doing branding. Consider mm. those things. Do you do a Google complex type name? Because our name is like that. Mm. Or do you do a simplified? Can I ask where your name came from? So, Neural is basically translation into Danish for neural. That's uh-huh. it. So, the idea was brain, neural. Yep. Uh, okay, someone's already taken neural. <laughs> um, what's something that is unique enough within Google and copywriting and all that sort of stuff? And Neural. And it's also sort of... It's close to the French translation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually funny. When you type in Neural, you have all of our links. So we actually dominate that bit. And then underneath all that is research, brain science-related research, all translated in French. Ah, interesting. So, um, yeah, we, that, that was sort of the goal initially. We wanted to having, have, have something unique. Before that, it was called Single Partners, which is okay. a bad, bad – it was people thought we partners, were in, that's a dating thing. Pete, that's what people <laughs> thought. The, the the pun was, I was a single partner in the business, uh-huh. and uh, you know, like um, <laughs> it was just not a good idea. Your so, good. It sounds fancy. Yeah, it does sound a little bit fancy, and it's sort of memorable enough. Like I say it, and people re- repeat it, so that's mm. good enough for me. Um, but I like I, I was really struggling when it came to this area to find something like you had. I wanted something like what you had, a simple 
know, thing that, that people could say and that they'd said before, but. I yeah. think the visual, I think what's helped us as well is the, the, just the visual representation. And like, I think you mentioned earlier on how we got the logo. The, it was one of my housemates. I was living with sort of 10 people at the time, working in clubs and, um, so being a hot dog, I love that. Yeah. Well, he was, uh, he was just studying, he was studying in graphic design at Swinburne at the time. Yeah. Um, and he, I asked for a logo for yeah. it to put on a business card that I could give to people. And he said, well, go and get me a sausage roll and a Slurpee. We had a, we had a 7-Eleven like half a K down the road. I know the one. So I went down there and I walked <laughs> back and he'd, he'd put it together. And so it's like a bit of Bauhaus font mucked around with. Um, but that, that guy, and I won't name his name because I think he, he, he feels some shame about it now. Really? Because he went from there into fashion and more high-end, highbrow design. <laughs> and to be associated with the trademark <laughs> of some moving company in Melbourne, like he's just, he, he's in a different sphere. And how so he, could, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't want to associate himself with it. He doesn't <laughs> with it. But, you know, we, we, we love it. It's funny, my partner did the exact same degree, I think. She, yeah, right. She did our logo as well. But, um, <laughs> so going back to tech, hmm. what do you think about the hype related to all this at the moment like the way i see it because you know there's a big we've got a big tech community here in melbourne Mm. you know i know that um philip daladakis who is a our guest minister for innovation has been creating a quite a huge cyber security um i guess industry here in melbourne and i know that there's a big a bigger community in melbourne now through people like adrian um over the last 10 years sydney still dominates yep but it's intriguing to see the obsession in corporate Australia and so forth with digitization. I get it through clients. What do you mean by digitization? I mean like, you know, the obsession of uh, by people looking at tech-related businesses or internet-related businesses mm. as opposed to products and services that are enhanced by technology. Mm. Because um, that, that sort of seems to me to be the trouble with a lot of, lot of people is they think, oh, I'm going to build tech this or tech that as opposed to viewing a product or service for what it's worth and enhancing it in some way making it frictionless like you did with That's having a, a system there's place. there's different sorts of there's different sorts of tech products here i think or different sorts of tech ideas um some that i think are great and some that i think are not so great um i've i i think you've got to uh i mean it seems like the tech tech is moving towards being more uh, inside our inside the physical, so through um, home automation and everything being web connected, mm. um, it's got to be related to something tangible. Okay. Uh, th- I think that's where the biggest opportunities are, or I think that's where the best products are. Um, so something physical, so or or, or it, it, it's you know you've got like thing, you can feel it, you can feel it, or you can. Um, it, it's related to something tangible that you can hold. Okay. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that you're creating, but it interacts with that. Yeah. So, so rather than just being in on the web, but anyway, I'm getting a bit airy fairy here or something. What what I don't like in the startup team, and I, I think the, the sorts of businesses that I think are a little bit corrosive and also most likely to fail in the long term, are what I consider to be somewhat parasitic um, conduit startups where. You're essentially trying to provide the front end for something for a product that doesn't a, quite have one yet. Yeah. You're trying to get all the tradies, for example, and provide a way that you can book them. Because or you can, if you're going to do it, 
what I, what I think is lacking in a lot of those startups is um, ethics. Yeah. Uh, so that is, you provide this very slick customer service experience, very frictionless. It's it's pleasurable. It's a sexy app. It's a sexy service, and then the service is is third party because mm. that's that's the real world stuff. It's the person delivering the pizza, or it's uh, you know it's 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 uh, you know it, it's it's not that because you know you don't want any. Ideally, as a tech, you don't want any staff that aren't programmers, you know, yeah. and that aren't marketeers. Yeah. Um, you want that to be someone else's responsibility. But when that all falls down uh, and you don't provide customer support, I think that's where they're all going to fail or that's where they will fail unless they can actually give end-to-end service. Yeah. So well, It's quite intriguing that this is very topical right now. Two, two reasons why. One, I'm interviewing, I guess, like a political slash social activist next week about ethics and morality and how right. and we're talking about technology as well. Fantastic. But I'm also intrigued... On your thoughts on companies like Uber at the moment? Yeah, I, I love tech. I am. I was I was a nerd. I was on bulletin boards when I was a kid. You know, <laughs> I I I'm, I'm I love the latest gadget. Yeah. Um, but I also believe in uh, principles. Work, fair work. Mm-hmm. I, I believe people should be uh, should you know people have fought long and hard for a base level of pay in places like Australia, mm-hmm. and for work rights and uh, sickness benefits and work cover and all of these things that are so important and make our standard of living so high here, or, or make yeah. it make it make our standard of living high for everyone. And I think as shiny as these new these new conduit disruptive services are. They're corrosive to that, mm. unless they are um, legislated to, in some level. And yeah. I know that's a horrible word, and everyone wants everything to be free and stuff. But I think it's important to make sure these the, the workers keep their rights. Yeah, I think uh, it's intriguing with with things like Uber. What what starts out as a good product, and I mean, I sold my car because of like Uber because right. I don't need to. I live in the city. I don't need to own a car and support it. I can use a service like Uber. So I continue to use it until they start, unless they start really, it's getting to a point where they are starting to screw their drivers over. Mm. I speak to the drivers about it. Yep, but they all say it. Um, what started out as a good product for everyone is starting, you, it's just economics. It starts to really, really push people down. And the, and the, and the, the, the next step, of course, is Uber's going Uber's to placate everyone for as long as necessary mm. because Uber doesn't really care because Uber knows what the next step is. Of yeah. course, the next step is autonomous vehicles. Yeah. And so the drivers aren't going to matter for that much longer. Yeah. As long as they can get the market and, and keep operating even, and, and let the court cases roll on for as long as possible and get everyone used to using the app, then, um, then by the time, even, even if it's... If it's uh, the the work issues don't fall in their favor it doesn't matter because by that time a robot's driving it yeah and so the the human doesn't matter anymore and that person's out of a job anyway yeah well the argument you could i guess make against the autonomous vehicles point is that it'll be the hardware or someone buys to put on their car and their car will integrate into the platform and they'll basically mm. they themselves physically won't have to work it'll just be their asset so there'll no longer be any kind of ethical work issue because there'll no longer be a job 
Yeah, well, you could argue that it won't be a job, but their asset will be still earning income, so they can spend their time elsewhere. Yeah. But how that works, I, I like. We Bill, don't. I know. like Bill Gates' take on this. I don't normally yeah. like Bill Gates' take. Actually, no, that's harsh. Bill Gates is a good guy, but um, but his take on it that uh, that robots that put people out of work need to be taxed. Yeah, well, I think what what is happening, and we'll get to this, I think, with our ne- our next episode is um, and and how it sort of increases inequality is that being a capitalist like being able to allocate your money is more effective now than being a worker Mm. and will perpetuate for the next 10 to 15 years where as things like automation are rolled out through many different industries Mm. so i think that tax reform is going to be huge and i mean we need it even now in australia with the way that our economy is changing um and how we're going from being uh, just with the change in, in baby boomers and so forth and the, where the, the dominant amount of money and funds mm. are in the economy. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting the next five ten years, I think. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm 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 not going to weigh in on that. <laughs> that's 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 not my pay grade. <laughs> Good point. Or knowledge, actually, more more to the point. But yeah, it ha- tax in general has to change. So and and thing, things like universe, I think. Universal basic income will become the social issue of our age in the next fifteen years. Interesting. I, yeah. I've I've absolutely no doubt because there'll be less need for physical workers, uh, more capital intensive industries. Mm. You know, you got to think about even your industry. You know, there'll be a point where you won't actually need drive. That you don't need people to drive. You just will need people to move. And then, at what point do you not need movers through robots? Well, I've, I've already, I've already, I've already raised this, raised this with the guys in a yeah. joking way. In that, we'll as soon as we get, um, we, as soon as we get automated trucks, we're going to have them all answering phone calls and from VoIP lines in the fronts of the trucks. Yeah. But a lot, you know, like a lot of people can make the argument. It, it um, there's there's so many different arguments. The thing is, we don't know what's going to happen. Mm. And you can argue that. That creates more jobs elsewhere, but people need to be reskilled for those jobs. And a prime mm. example now is car manufacturing. Mm. The government could have done more if they had just set up systems to retrain those people. You know, like we're one of the biggest medical device manufacturers in the world. Yeah. Why not retrain these people who've worked in car factories to move them into medical device factories? You know, and that's. That's just where legislation and government needs to pick up the pace and could fix a lot of these uh, hot points or, or sore spots of, of the economy. But, yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, I think we're going to be pulling more coal out of the ground and, yeah, yeah. and for <laughs> till the next US election at least. I think that um, with energy policy, yeah, energy policy is an interesting thing. I think that we could be doing more. I think it's understandable that we can't have an immediate switch to um, – pure renewable energy but the government should be doing far more in terms of investment um, in terms of relaxing all um, investment related to renewables and appropriately taxing uh, fossil related energy Mm. Um, i think that if you like yesterday i read this article about the integration of tesla batteries in the um, californian energy system and how the explosion of those battery battery storage systems. Not the actual physical explosion. No. (laughs) That would be terrible. (laughs) But, yeah, the explosion of um, the amount of batteries available and how it's now really affected their grid because they've got these renewable energy 
memes, you mm. know, the solar, wind, etc. And now they have the appropriate storage facility to store it mm. as it creates a surplus during the day so that during night it can push it through to the grid. I mean, this is the, the thing is, though, it's not going to be government that's going to advocate towards no. the decentralization of power because it's literally the decentralization of power that you're talking about. Yeah. You're talking about putting uh, that the power... <laughs> Giving giving people the power, <laughs> letting lying. them letting them letting them create and keep the power for themselves and share it around. Yeah, um, and a central power system is never when when you're talking about politics is, is never going to be up for that. And particularly if you've got more right leaning governments in power, yeah. they're going to be the opposite. Why would they Why would they move towards that? It's got to be people that do it themselves, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I guess the government makes money from it when they run the wholesale network, don't they? So. You know, when it becomes decentralized, then they're they're not really aggregating or making any money from anything. My numeracy skills are pretty pretty poor, so you're getting into a yeah. getting into a Hectic realm here. Um, That's <laughs> right. I've been reading. I, I think uh, generally, I think decentralization is the way to go, and I think it's you can see it now with battery technology, electric vehicles, all that. Well, you know. we, we 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 are slowly um, moving our database to Amazon Web Services, most likely because bit by bit, because again. You know, one database in one place is not that good. Yeah, you wanna you wanna load balance that stuff. Yeah, I, I've got my databases with um with for our website, podcast, everything with that. So it's actually funny you mentioned that because they had a like a catastrophic yeah. failure the other day. That's it. I was like, what? <laughs> the website's not up. People can't get podcasts. That's the irony. Well, we were we were slowly moving towards AWS, um, and then we had a meeting with a developer the other day. Well, we're talking about building our new headquarters where we'll have, obviously, because we've recently had an outage at Man With A Van where we lost our, we have a symmetrical, for the tech people, symmetrical 2020, um, what is it? It's an, it's like a, a several ADSL lines all linked together. So you get 2020 symmetrical. And we had a fallback other ADSL connection. Um, and they were both in the same pit, which got flooded. And so for, I think, over two weeks, um, we had no connectivity, and of course, everything. We all of the what? guys, all of the guys are out in vehicles with phones that have mobile websites that tap into our database. Their roster is on their f- is 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 a database that they get it that they access from their phone. Oh, wow. Everything obviously is we we rely on it. Yeah. Um. And so we were running off um, a three G modem. Wow. Which meant the guys in the office um couldn't look at Facebook or YouTube for quite a significant amount of time. Shit. Yeah, you can imagine how how <laughs> they were not happy. How, how tough that was. <laughs> you had a you had a mutiny going on. Yeah, with the AWS thing, I think um, that just taught me that um, instances or like different servers can be just. You should have your different types of servers placed on different um, virtual servers. So, as in, you host one and you've host got one, one in Oregon, yeah. host one in Sydney, host one in mm. the Eastern Seaboard in the US, etc. So. Mm. That's what it told me. But they, they, I read their whole press release. They've, they've actually rectified it dramatically. Um, if that catastrophic failure ever happened again, the way that it's pushed out to other servers is, would be totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, and more so. So they say. Yes, yeah, so they say. It just shows that AWS essentially runs the internet. And if Amazon was a cheaper stock, I'd buy a share in it. Um, <laughs> now, talking about, uh, I'm interested to know about, um, any dark periods you've had over the last 16 years? 
Ah, yeah, the have, have, the, have there been and how have you sort of gotten through that? There was one quite early on that was particularly dark. Okay. Um, it was quite catastrophic that uh, we had two vehicles at the time. It was when we just, we'd, we'd sold or we'd gotten rid of the first very dodgy little van from the chocolate box and we had two second-hand Ford Transit vans that we'd um, both bought. James and I both bought one. Mine had its engine blow up just head gasket or something um so that was off the road and we were trying to figure out how to get the money together we're getting the money together to put a new engine in it and a few days later um we had one of our guys working on a sunday and i think he'd had quite a big saturday and a the customer was guiding him into a sort of a uh through a, a roller door not taking into account the roller door that had a sort of a four foot brick wall above it was about two feet too low for the van to drive through. Okay. And so he just drove into the roller, brought the entire mechanism and the wall down on top of the truck. Oh, my God. And crushed the truck. He was fine. Um, was there anything in the truck, like furniture? Or? I think there was a few things. We got them out. Um, but, yeah, not a good look. And But it meant that we, for a period there, we had we were a man with no van. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was that was, you know, I really had to draw on... Um, the, I mean, by that stage, we've been running for a little while. And, uh, after, after dropping out of school, I'd spent quite a lot of time traveling, um, in Europe and stuff with my sister and really, you know, living hand to mouth and having to live on your wits. Mm. Um, and James had done similar stuff. And so it was just, just having to draw on the experience of not necessarily having somewhere to sleep or any food or any money. And how can I, within the law, um, you know, get get back from from nothing. How can yeah. I rebuild? Yeah, and so you know, you've you've done it before, so you know you can do it again. Yeah. So we we're, we're lucky. We were privileged in the sense that we were, we'd had times where we weren't privileged. Do you recommend that if anyone was to consider starting their own business, that they should consider traveling first? Like it sounds like that's really impacted a lot of um, your uh, mentality on things. Um, I. I just had a great time traveling. I don't know whether it was that necessary. Okay. Um, it meant, it meant, yeah, I reckon it, I mean, it, it can't hurt. Well, maybe it can, but <laughs> as long as you survive it, um, then you're, you learn to deal with all sorts of strange situations and you learn to put yourself in strange situations, um, and have to negotiate them and get out the other way. And you have to reinvent, you know, you're, you're, you, you, you don't just have your, security blanket of your social group and your family and your home and this and that and the other to, to so it means when you're faced with a challenge it's just you mm. and you've just got to deal with it you've got you can't phone a friend yeah because you know you're somewhere without any mobile reception and there weren't mobiles then anyway <laughs> <laughs> but um i think it's i think it it is and it's it's like the it's a buzzword these days i reckon it definitely um builds grit yeah do you do you how do you deal with stress these days Oh, I meditate. <laughs> yeah, you say that I'm, on the, I'm on the bandwagon. Yeah, very much. Um, Are you? Would you consider yourself a like? A, you were saying before when we were chatting that you're a bit fidgety. Do you think that sort of helps with that? Because I know that I'm a very fidget. I remember actually going around to a friend's place, which was exactly like this, <laughs> and it was just above a shop, mm. and he, it was his mum's shop, mm. and I would always tap my feet on the floor, <laughs> and she would scream. Yeah. Stop fucking tapping. <laughs> so I found that, you know, for that sort of 
you know, manic meditation and exercise, like smashing, smashing some weights that, that definitely helps. Um, yeah. Do you, do you do any particular type of meditation? Is it just like, uh, I do. I, I, I use the Headspace app. Ah, how good is that? I I love that. Oh, you're on the app because I I need more buddies who are actually meditating on it. I, I love the app, but I hate the app because I'm just, I just see all the, um, all of the, what do you call it? UI? What do you, no, what, what do you call it? The interface. Yeah. The, UI. I find all the UI it's, problems in it that it just buggy. don't get fixed. It's buggy. It's just badly designed. I've actually got a really, uh, <laughs> think about what I've got now. So I've got Headspace. I've also mm. got another one, which is, uh, having a look at it now. It is, it's called Deep Sleep with, it's a Scottish guy. Oh yeah. And he's he's a hypnotist. Deep sleep with Andrew Johnson. <laughs> um I've started using that so I've got Headspace there as well. Mm-hmm. Um which is awesome. Uh yeah, deep sleep I find better just because it's it's a guided meditation. Okay. Uh, with the with the actual this guy Andrew Johnson. He's got such a calming glass uh, Glaswegian. It's, yeah, it's I'm pretty sure it's Glaswegian, but it's just such a calming voice and um the way that he structures the the phrasing is a lot better. There's Sam I don't know if you've ever heard of Sam Harris. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I like Sam. Um Harris. he's bringing out I love Sam Harris, but he's bringing he's bring out, out, a, out an app too, I know. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you listen to the podcast? I've listened to a few. Yeah. Um I've only just discovered his podcast actually. Oh, I mean, wow. I read Waking Up a while back. Okay. Um but um, I've, yeah, I didn't realize he was doing podcasts. I mean, for anything ethics and morality, I sort of look to that guy as a way to build a groundwork and my own ideas he's, from it. He's, so, he's very pragmatic without yeah. being cold. Yeah, and I, as well, like when you see him argue with people or debate mm. people, he's never offensive and mm. disingenuous, which I mm. really enjoy mm. because a lot of people are just, you know, hyperbolic. I'm looking forward to trying that out. But the thing about Headspace that I like is, ironically. The competitive nature to it, I guess. There's a competitive nature because you've got the you've got your your you buddies, yeah. and so you've got to, you've got to maintain the streak. And like, if I lose my streak, so it actually, weirdly or ironically, it's 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 quite anxiety inducing. That's what I mean. That's why I'm sort of <laughs> leaning away from it. Now. <laughs> That's how they keep you hooked. Yeah, it's, it's like any piece of the, well, it, it gets me meditating. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to think about time now. Mm-hmm. Do you ever foresee a, a time where you'll be bored with the business? And what would you do, do you think? I don't think I'll ever be bored with the business because the great thing about owning your own business for anyone who's ever done it or does it or wants to do it is is it's a choose-your-own-adventure. Yeah. Um, to a set that, you know, there's the everyday things that you have to get done until you've automated them and systemized them to a point where a system is doing them or a person is doing them. But... Uh, once you get past those, you get to work on any part of it you want. And nearly every business has a different a different aspect. So you can wear so many hats. Yeah. Today I'm marketing guy. Today I'm IT guy. Today I'm the accountant. Today I'm this. And and you know you can you can uh, concentrate on and, and put your attention on what what you feel, what you're feeling like doing. I mean that for me is freedom. The freedom that's the most important freedom within owning your own business for me. So if you don't ever want to work on something within the business, do you look to push it on to someone else? Do you if, have that mentality or do you go, oh, fuck, I've got to do this? Um, I, I mean, there's, there's still things that I haven't let go of that I, I should and I want to. But I, I'm, ideally, I don't want to hand it over, and this is mistakes I've made in the past on this, I don't want to hand it over until I can describe it in such a simple way that someone else can do it at least as good, if not better, mm. just by reading the manual. 
um, or a, a an information system will just do it without me, mm. you know, and just just break off a task, and that's that's automated. I'm always looking for ways to do that. Yeah. Um, I want to jump into some shorter questions mm-hmm. um, as we round out this interview. Do you, uh, when you think about success, is there any particular idea or person that comes to mind for you? When I think about success, um, actually, how about this? When the word success comes to your mind, who's the third person? Who's the third person? (laughs) Because a lot of people will just go, Muhammad Ali. You know what? I I keep bumping into a couple of neighbors of mine um, who are quite inspiring. Um, uh, Kim Ortenberg, who started the Gertrude Street Projection Festival, which okay. is a little community uh, yeah, event yeah, that happens yeah. here. She's an ex-film director and she's now really putting back into the community and getting to do the stuff that she loves. Um, I mean, she only oversees it now, I think. Um, but her and her, um, her and her, her and her partner, he has a business that does, uh, takes, takes, legal speak legalese and translates it into plain english okay. um so he's, he's a very successful business person but at the same time he's always telling me about the kayaking adventures that he's going on and it's in, i'm just inspired by people who've really seemed to have I, I see success is people who are still deeply immersed in business but also deeply immersed in other things yeah you know i think that's so important um yeah is there any habits that you that you have? Any sort of morning routines, evening routines? Morning routines you- uh, is um, uh, weight training. Okay, I'm just doing a five by five thing now, which I love. Um, my brother got me onto the. It's called five by five strong lifts. Okay, so I've just got a basic power rack, and just that is just it's done in half an hour. It's yeah, it, it suits my ADHD. It's just I mean, it, it's great. <laughs> Um, I, I do that. I meditate. Um, my girlfriend, Jill, has gotten me into doing um, yoga as okay. well in between, and I'm starting to really understand that a bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Those. Do, you, do you have a diary or anything like that? I've tried to journal. I haven't really <laughs> done it since I was like a hormonal sort of 13-year-old. <laughs> Those diaries are pretty funny. Um, I, uh, I don't. I don't. No. Okay. I take photographs. Um, any best purchases under two hundred dollars in the last year? Under two hundred dollars. Yeah. I notice you. Do you have an Echo Dot over there? There is. A, yes. Yes. An Echo Dot. Well, that's. It doesn't do any of the Amazon stuff. Yeah. I've kind of like I, I. I'm quite into home automation, and so it's actually, it's actually been hacked to think that it is a Philips Hue. Oh, sorry, think that it's controlling Philips Hughes when, in fact, it's doing things like opening the garage door or, yeah. you know, playing music and turning on the aircon. Okay. So, that, yeah, that, that's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing, but I'm not entirely happy. I'm not, as, I'm not a raving fan of the, the Echo like some people are. I'd say my, my best purchases would have to be winter, a pair of Ugg boots because my standard of living just went through the roof where yeah. I got some fresh Uggies. Yeah, and in this summer I got a a a a stand for my hammock. Ah, oh, okay. And so I've got a hammock just always ready. Is that just that's yeah. just out in the garden there, and yeah. that stand of living again. I mean, it's it's so simple but so effective. Yeah, you know, five minutes in the hammock and it's, yeah. yeah, you're, you're done. feeling pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I have this thing because like, I journal and I always ask myself, am I um, 
uh, what's the word? It's um, am I adopting any hedonistic adaptions? You know, like am I trying to to spend insane amounts of money on things where I could be simplifying it with something like a hammock or some mug boots? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think has been the most influential book for you over the last few years? From business, for, well, I mean, the most influential book for me in business was something that my father gave me um, really early on, and everyone says it, it's really cliched, The E-Myth. Okay. Yeah. The E-Myth Revisited? I think it was just The E-Myth then. Okay. I, I, think, I've, I think I've read The E-Myth Revisited now. All it is is I think that's just a new... I feel like Adrian mentioned this. He did. Yeah. Yep, he did. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, same old. <laughs> um, I, I feel boring for, for being, you know, the same as everyone else with that. But it is all... It, it just describes so well how you put a business together mm. and, and, and that it's, it's, it's not about just finding that you love cooking and therefore just just cooking for everyone because you'll just end up hating cooking. Yeah. It's about figuring out what you do, breaking it up into a system, making it replicatable and McDonald's system, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And what's your what's your competency? What are you good at? Yeah. 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 Um God, there's so many I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. If you could have a billboard anywhere, what what would you put on it? <laughs> and where would it be? Um it would be at somewhere that's like the, that is a international flashpoint. I don't know, like Israel, Palestine, or something. So, some, but it, but it gets to stay up, doesn't it? The billboard yeah. gets to stay up and it gets vandalised, and they, they, it just says that Beatles lyric. I mean, Beatles, cheesy. You know, <laughs> everyone loves the Beatles. Love is all there is. Love is all there is. Love is all there is. That's all I'd put on a billboard. I like that. <laughs> I've worked that into our database at work because I figured out how to change the layouts. My IT, the IT manager doesn't like it, but I can get into the layouts and just put in little bits of text weirdly in the design. Oh, really? So there's just, there's just sort of a rostering or staff, um, rostering section page of our database and just there's a banner up there that has lovers all there. <laughs> Apropos nothing. Yeah. That's, that's good. It's good to, um, you know, place that here and there. Yeah. Um, if you could do a TED talk, if someone, if Ted called you up tomorrow and said, "Hey, we want you to present on something," and it couldn't be about business, what it would it be? Couldn't be about business. Yeah. Oh, what would I do it on? Um, like, what do you think that you know, like the back of your hand? Uh, I'd probably do a really nerdy one on home automation systems. Oh, really? Because um, <laughs> you know that's my hobby. <laughs> Um, but uh, so, what is what's some of the automation systems you've got here? You've well, got I've thought. just got a, I've just got a home automation server. Ah, okay. Um, which is it's uh, it takes yeah, what, what what annoys me about the way that technology companies work is like Apple's got its home kit and you know Echo's got Echo's a bit more open, but you've got to write thing. You, you've got to get you've got to, it's they're, they're kind of closed systems to a certain extent. You've yeah. got you've got to write within a certain framework. Whereas the um, the home automation server I've got, the piece of software, Indigo Domo is what it's called, okay. allows you to bring any sort of piece of tech if you can write sort of um, something to control it. If you can provide the glue in between, mm. then you can add it on. Okay. You know, it's very open. Yeah. And so it's just t- endless tinkering on with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is one of my favorite questions to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, what is something you believe that nearly no one agrees with you? 
on or what inside seems <laughs> obvious to you but not to others when you say it and they go you're sitting there you're having a few drinks and they're like ah yeah i, I think i think early early um mucking around with psychedelics were quite informative for me with this and back when i was you know a teenager bill hicks was a big a big thing oh yeah you know the late bill hicks and he was a bit of a hero God, he was a legend one time he was a real sermonizer but um <laughs> he there's he he has this um he has this moment where he's he's complaining that there's never positive drug stories and he's had positive drug experiences and uh I've, i wrote it down it's like there's a what's it um imagine a new story where Today, young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration, that we're all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There's no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we're the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. <laughs> <laughs> for me, for me, that's that thing that every, I think it's everyone kind of knows that stuff. Yeah. But it's, I, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's intriguing how deep down... For, have you read much about the research on psychedelics that's happening at the moment? No. Treatments for depression for John Hopkins. Right. Um, I've been writing about it recently. I think uh, I'm trying to get PRISM, which is like the uh, the like a non-for-profit that pushes Hang psychedelic on, wasn't research. PRISM the like American intelligence gathering project? No, nah, nah. uh, <laughs> no. I think PRISM is like um, something that a lot of um, conspiracy theorists believe is, is something related to that. Okay. Prism is, I think, that Thing weather with- apparatus. Oh, okay. In a, in, in, uh, what's that state? Starts with A, Alaska. Mm-hmm. That I think the people were talking about. Right. You know, well, they can change the thermal winds and oh, therefore impact the weather, which okay. they can do it. Um, but yeah, I don't know how that got, you know, extrapolated out. Probably to too much like, psychedelics. Yeah, like, <laughs> speaking of psychedelics, have you seen um, videos of Alex Jones? Do you know Alex Jones going nuts? Oh, he's the, the mad conspiracy theory Yeah, he's the mad guy. conspiracy Or maybe theory. the sane conspiracy theory guy. Um, he is absolutely fucking nuts. <laughs> um, but yeah, I th- just recently there's a lot of research about psychedelics and how it can help you mentally. And Well, and I know ketamine's been used successfully for depression, hasn't it? Yeah. In Australia till they shut down that Psilocybin rogue. mushrooms has been the big one with John Hopkins. It goes either way, doesn't it? Yeah, can, it can be. It's all. It's always either very a very positive experience or a very negative experience. But it's definitely going to be an experience. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think you're most proud of? What am I most proud of? Um, I think I'm most proud that I know that my the guys uh, are out there. Uh, that is my staff doing the, the movers right now. Right now, they're out there right now sweating while we're in air conditioning, um, that they are providing the kind of the, the, the dedication to the cause and the quality of service that I used to provide and probably even better. And I, I feel really proud that I, I know that that still, that, that, that the DNA is in the business. It's in the culture now. So it's, it's, it's like, it's like, it's, you know, making a business is somewhat like making a life. Because yeah. it's 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 the system, and and, and what it, it, at a certain point you've got to let lots of it go, and that's one of the hardest things about about starting a business is is knowing at which point to kind of take the training wheels off and let the thing go by itself and let it run, and and don't do that bit, let some you know let that that let someone do it, yeah. and so knowing that we're still you know because I I see all the reviews and things that come in, good and bad, and Facebook and Yelp and Google review whatever. 
and we have raving fans. People gush about it. And so I know the guys are out there making people happy and at the same time having a really positive experience themselves because it, to be honest, it's the, it's the funnest job. It's the most fascinating from uh, an anthropological, psychological perspective being able to just turn up in a vehicle and the person opens their house and you, you go into all of the rooms and they trust you to do that. And it's at a time when they're extremely stressed out yeah. um, because, as they say, it's one of the most stressful experiences of your life. And so, you know, it's so important to build a rapport at yeah. that point and, and be a trustworthy person that, that is going to put people at ease. And I know the guys are out there having that emotional experience with their customers, leaving them gushing, you know, and so that makes you happy. And you're yeah. doing a physical job, that, you know, you sleep well at night. Uh, look, it's, it's great. It's yeah. also sometimes horrifically hard, <laughs> you know, but that only makes it's, – it's, it's the yin and the yang or whatever. Exactly. It makes things yeah. enjoyable. Last few questions. Mm-hmm. Favorite, any favorite podcasts or? Yes. Well, of course, Neural. <laughs> um, oh, sorry, not on Neural. It's Uncommon, isn't uncommon, it? Uncommon, yeah. My mistake. Um, I like a lot of the RN ones. Okay. Radio National, their big ideas, rear vision for getting a bit of a broader perspective. Um, uh, I like what you mentioned before, waking up, Sam Harris, I've yeah. just kind of discovered. And, you know, I've been a long listener to 99% Invisible. Except I can't stand the guy's voice in that. I don't know if you have you ever listened to it. No, it's no. like a design one. Ninety nine percent invisible. It's, it's fascinating, but the guy's guy's voice is just schmaltzy or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, waking up. Oh, I mentioned waking up with Stan, Sam Harris. Uh, Story Club, the podcast, okay. isn't is it one from Sydney? That is wonderful, and I kind of I like a little bit of the. I hated Australia when I got here, but now I love it. Um, but lately, I've been nearly crashing cars and falling off my bike, laughing when listening to my dad wrote a porno and I've only just discovered it. And it's this, it's this English comedy about a guy whose father has written a erotic novel <laughs> and him and two of his friends um, take it apart line by line. And it is just, just hilarious. You've just, <laughs> so they're, they're reading it and then giving commentary. To yeah. It as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just taking it apart. And it's just so funny. And the guys that, did that podcast? Uh, I, I just bought tickets to them doing a show at the at Hamer Hall later this year. But yeah, my dad wrote a porno. If you want to laugh, listen to Matt, my dad wrote a porno. Who who are uh, these guys? Uh, I can't remember their names. But we'll, we'll find the links after. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can get them. And I think the last one. Any what music are you currently listening to? What's playing on your iPhone or? Um, music system. Well, I'm listening to the I've you know the new XX album's pretty good. Yeah. Um, it was it was always going to be. Um, I've only just gotten into listening to a streaming music service. I kind of I had big problems with the ethical issues around streaming services as opposed to actually paying for downloads, mm-hmm. and I still haven't resolved those. But I I'm, I feel like I'm blowing against the wind. There are that many bands at Man with a Van. And all of them use streaming services. So me kind of like digging my heels in and going, I'm not going to use a streaming service because they exploit artists <laughs> seems kind of pointless. So now I have Apple Music. So I listen to the kind of um, curated playlists there by, you know, different different interesting electronic uh, things like uh, Warp Records and stuff. Okay. Um, and my my partner in crime, Jill, who's a – she's a um, – She's a writer, but she's also a musician. Okay. She's more a musician than she's a writer. <laughs> and she, I'm listening to some – she's in a band uh, called Hannah Maru, but she's also 
done a whole lot of sort of unreleased solo piano works that she's recorded. Oh, wow. And they're really good to listen to for what? background, but no one's got them but me. What style of music would you call that? Ambient. So, oh, wow. Okay. It's kind of, it's kind of Philip Glassy inspired ambient stuff. Yeah. I, any work I do, I listen to a one and a half hour a playlist of ambient music. Yeah. Just totally puts me in the zone. Yeah. I absolutely love yeah. it. It's good to work too. Tim, uh, we're just about to hit an hour and a half. I, I mm-hmm. really appreciate this. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. If people were to find you on and Man with the Van on the interwebs, we've got manwithvan.com.au. Correct. Or? or just start typing man with into Google and it should suggest it. If it doesn't, let me know. But <laughs> <laughs> so we shouldn't be hard to find, but you'll also find all of the competition. Yeah. So make sure you click on all of their pay per click. Google ads, so it costs them money, but then book with us. <laughs> <laughs> and you're on Facebook? Facebook, uh, Dash Man with a Van, uh, Facebook, Twitter? Dash Man with a Van, Twitter, Dash Man with a Van, Instagram. Oh, I'm all over getting all of the IP. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> Tim, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. pleasure. Thank you for having us in your house. Thanks, as well. Jordan. It's been and, great. Uh, yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for making it this far. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you leave us a review and head to neural.com slash podcast to learn about our prizes, show notes, and gain priority access as a cognitive insider. Don't forget to like us on Facebook or Twitter. It's just at Neural, N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E. Until next episode, thanks for listening.